All right, so I want to say good morning to our friends who were over in the family room next door in the block today. Good to see you guys there. Nice cheer for, well, more of a clapping than a cheering, but, you know, glad to see you guys there. Um, thanks for being here. Uh, so we do not live in a world of peace, and that, as I prayed, that is not uh, news to you. You see it all the time. We, we sense it. We experience it all the time. I almost, and I don't mean this in, a, in any flippant kind of way, I almost feel like we should program into our gatherings week by week, we should program in a moment of silence just to acknowledge the state of our world these days. And so I really think it's incumbent on us as followers of Jesus to take up the, the call from Christ to reach out to people that are different than us, to, to stretch out our hand across a divide where people are separated from us because they're different, because their skin color is different or because their religious background is different or because we just don't like them or they don't like us, but to stretch out our hand across that gap and go, I'm going to love people in my circle. I'm going to love people in my you know, sphere of influence. I'm going to step outside my circle even where I'm uncomfortable, to love my neighbor or even to love my enemy. I think that's God's calling on us as followers of Jesus. So may I encourage you, I am seeking to do the same. I want to encourage you to do that as we move forward. We do not live in a world of peace. We also don't seem to live in a world of grace. You notice that? Um, what would it be like to live in a world where forgiveness was the norm? What would that be like? What would it be like to live in a world where mercy was the norm? What would it be like to live in a nation where if the president of the United States made a mistake, everybody forgave him? Okay, some of you are going to need some sanctified imagination, I see. But what would that be like, and why is it not happening? What would it be like to live in a world where... In a marriage, forgiveness was the norm. I mean, what would it be like for those of you who are married to be able to say, in my married life, when my spouse messes up, the norm is that I forgive them? Or what would it be like to say in my marriage, you know, in, in my marriage when uh, the spouse of my spouse messes up, that my spouse forgives me? And that's the norm. What would that be like? What would it be like if, if you're not married and you have these friendships where you've got a bunch of single buddies together and, and conflict comes in those relationships because conflict comes into every relationship? What would, it be, what would it be like if you lived in these relationships where mercy toward one another was the norm? If that would be the norm, that would change things. But unfortunately, in our experience, that's not the norm, is it? We live in a condemning world. We live in a judgmental world. We live in what is often a harsh world in terms of how we treat one another. Strangers condemn strangers in our world. Do you notice that? Have you, have you experienced that? You have. You have. If you have little children and you've ever taken them to the grocery store, you understand that strangers condemn strangers. I mean, right, because you know how this works. You know how the marketing design of supermarkets work. They, they put sweet, sweet, they put like tasty cereal right at cart level where your children are riding so that when you ride the, your children down the, the cereal aisle, they see the best 
in their mind, in their definition, the best cereal is right in front of them. And so they want it. And they want it now. (laughs) And if you don't give in and give it to them now, then they throw a huge fit. And there are strangers on that cereal aisle. And what are they doing to you? What they're thinking, and you know exactly what they're thinking because you've thought it about them. (laughs) What they're thinking is, if I was that parent, I would never let that child get away with that. What a horrible parent. They never just go, what a horrible kid. (laughs) No, they go, it's the parent's fault. Why? So we judge, as strangers, we judge one another. You do it, well, not you particularly, but I bet, you do it when you're driving. I bet you judge strangers who drive near you or across your path. I bet you, I bet you condemn them sometimes. We have, special con, condemn, con, we have special judging waves that we use. <laughs> right? And you've seen people use it to other strangers, and maybe you've used one. I don't know, and maybe they've used it on you. But we, we, we condemn strangers. We condemn our friends. We condemn our neighbors. I'm not above this, because we all do it. I used to live in a neighborhood where I ha- everyone had a lawn, right? And I had a lawn. I, in those days, where there was a time when I had the third best lawn in my neighborhood. <laughs> third. Because the guy across the street from me, he had the best lawn. By far, he had the best lawn in the neighborhood. But that guy was retired, man. He had nothing to do with his life but to work on his lawn. Which is not a statement about the rest of you who are retired, you know, God bless you, that's fantastic. He, got, he loved working on his lawn, and it was beautiful, but his didn't count, because that's all he did, you know. And there was a couple up the street, they had the second best lawn, but they both worked, and they had no children, so they had a lot of extra cash, and they used it on lawn care service. <laughs> Does not count. So I'm third, but I'm thinking I'm number one, because I'm judging both of those guys for cheating, And then you know what I was thinking about all the other people on my block who had a messed up lawn. I, they're my neighbors, and I judge them, and I condemn them. I'm like, you're not doing your lawn right. We live in a condemning world. It's how we live. It's how we do it. It just seems like that's what we do. Uh, we condemn people on social media. We're... We're like hot to do that. A few weeks ago, a mother uh, lost her son inside the gorilla pen in Cincinnati in the zoo. And everyone was horrified and terrified for this child. And yet, as soon as the situation was over and the gorilla lost its life, what did we do? We condemned the mother. We judge and we use a place like Facebook to be able to do it. We condemn and we use social media as a place to do it. We feel justified somehow in bringing condemnation because we're separated by a screen somehow. We have all these places where we condemn, and then when you go to Scripture, you go, well, maybe I'll be safe when I read Scripture. Then you read Scripture, and you find out that the law of God even condemns us. So we've been walking through the letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Roman Christians 2,000 years ago. It's now in the New Testament. We call it the Book of Romans. 
We've been studying Romans together and trying to understand what Paul's talking about. Because what he's talking about is the gospel. What he's talking about is good news. Good stuff for you. And yet when you begin looking through the book of Romans, you find out that it starts with condemnation. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is poured out on all the ungodliness and unrighteousness of human beings who suppress the truth about God in their unrighteousness. And those who are religious read that passage and they go, oh, well, that's just, those are the irreligious people that get that. That's their problem. That's their fault that that all happens. And then you get to chapter two and you find out that God goes, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. You who are religious, you who are judging the irreligious, you who judge, you practice the same things. No escape for you because you practice the same things that you judge. And in chapter 3, he says, you know, it really doesn't matter if you're religious or irreligious. It doesn't really matter. We're, we're all condemned under the law. We all stand condemned under the law because uh, the Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's this amazing little statement in chapter 3. Listen to this way that Paul says this in chapter 3, verse 10. He says, there's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There's no one who does good. Not even one. You're like, what about my grandmother? She was sweet. He goes, not even one. And so every single one of us, chapter 1, 2, and 3 of Romans, every single one of us stand under the condemnation that comes by the law of God. And it's a, it's a depressing kind of thing. You go, well, that, that's what the letter's about. We should read a different letter. But you have to understand the law, and you have to understand the judgment process or the condemnation process that happens under the law to be able to understand the good things that God has for us. And the law says that it comes with condemnation because nobody reaches God's standard. It's not that you're all inherently bad or inherently evil. It's that nobody is inherently as good as God is. And so nobody measures up to his standard. We all have sinned. We all have fallen short of God's glory, and so condemnation comes. To condemn means to pronounce guilty. God's law pronounces us guilty. It's not, again, saying that you're evil or that God hates you. It's just that God's law pronounces us guilty, and, and sometimes what comes with that pronouncement of guilt is that we go, oh, now I have shame in my life, and now I have despair or discouragement in my life. To condemn means to pronounce guilty. It also means to judge someone as unfit for use or service. That's the definition that destroys me. If I am condemned by someone, if I'm condemned by the law, or if I'm condemned by you, what you're saying in part is that I'm no longer useful for service or for accomplishing something good. I don't want to feel that in my life. I don't want to feel that I'm useless to God. I don't want to feel that I'm useless to you. But that's what condemnation brings, a statement that I'm unfit for use or for service. And that leads to shame. And that's Romans chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3. And then in chapter 4, he sort of turns the corner, a little bit of a corner. In chapter 4, he says, yeah, but there's this man named Abraham. And Abraham, though he messed up in his life, sometimes in big ways, he believed God. And because he believed God, because he trusted him, God counted it to him as righteousness. He counted his faith 
as righteousness. And God justified him. And God said, and if you believe Christ, he will justify you also. And so there's some hope that brought, is brought into the picture of condemnation. If you believe, if you trust Christ, he will justify you also. And then you go into chapter 5 and you find out that those who have been justified by faith in Christ, we have peace with God. We are made whole in our relationship with God because he justified us. Now we have peace. So we live in a world that has no peace. And yet we have peace with God. Romans chapter 6 talks about the idea that, that we were slaves of sin, but we are no longer slaves to sin. We've been set free from sin. And then chapter 7 says, yeah, but sin is a terrorist and it goes after you. And even then, Paul cries out to God and goes, who will set me free from this body that is destined for death and destruction? And he goes, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He's the one that sets us free. And that's the journey we've been on for the last several months going through the book of Romans. That's bringing us up to where we are today. And today we turn a corner in the story. Today we come to chapter 8. And so if you have your Bible and you want to follow along with this, I invite you to do it. Romans chapter 8, I want to read just four verses for you today and describe them and discuss them a little bit. If you don't have a Bible, we've got some on the chairs next to you. If you want to pull out your smartphone, you can. No one's going to think you're texting, even though you might be. But you can follow along with the YouVersion Bible app. We've got some notes in there, and uh, we'd love to have you follow along with that, or you can just listen. Here's Romans chapter 8. Listen to this good news. Paul writes, Therefore, because of everything that came in chapters 1 through 7, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. That is a beautiful statement. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And now Paul turns a corner to beautiful good news. About three years ago, Donna and I had a chance to go to Italy. I had a sabbatical here from the church, and so we took a, a trip to Italy, and, and we laid it out as a sacred architectural tour. My design of the trip was to go, let's go to all the old churches we can find in Italy, and let's just celebrate what they learned about God and about approaching God and drawing our attention to God and, and what it looks like. And some, some of the churches were cathedrals, and some of them were just little neighborhood churches, but we just wanted to go look around and see what we could learn about God by what was in these buildings these churches and so we took this trip and right before we left to get on the plane to go to italy i heard about another church that i hadn't built into my itinerary it was in milan it's the cathedral in milan it was a it was a beautiful uh cathedral uh there in that city that i had not heard of before and so i'm like well we got we just gotta take a little diversion route and go over and see that because i don't want to miss that church it was a gothic structure in the midst of all the rest of the italian architecture it didn't match anything in the area i'm like we got to see that one too so we spent some time in venice and then we we detoured over to milan got to milan we got there like late in the evening and we we were staying in 
uh, monasteries. I was trying to save money. I mean, they were, they were, they were fine, you know, it's all fine. Uh, man, it's not maybe the most romantic place to be, but um, it costs a little less. So we're staying in monasteries. We get, to this, we get to this monastery in Milan. We're going to be there one night. I got the phone number of a guy who's supposed to be the front desk dude. And I'm like, you're in the hotel industry. You should speak my language. <laughs> and so I, I got the phone number. We get there. You know, I call him up. And I'm, I'm like, hey, we're here. We're trying to get in. We're knocking on the door. No one's here. And the guy answers back in some language I don't know. But he said words to the effect of, you're not at the right house, or you're not at the right, you know, I don't know what he said, but, we, you know, it took us like a half hour to figure out how do we get in the door of this monastery. We finally get in, we get settled down, we're tired, we're exhausted, we're cranky, we haven't had any dinner, and, uh, and it's hot and it's muggy, and so we slept that night with the window open, but it's a monastery, they don't pay for screens on the windows, and it's kind of a muggy place, and so there's mosquitoes. I heard them buzzing around my head all night. <laughs> I woke up with eight mosquito bites strategically placed on my forehead, which I have ample space for, and I was going to spend the rest of my time in Italy with pock marks on my forehead from these bugs. We get up the next day. It's our one day in Milan. We're, about, we're staying about a mile away from the cathedral, and we could have taken a taxi, but I, I, didn't, I don't speak Italian, and I'm cheap. So I said, hey, honey, it's only like a, a mile. We could walk. We could just walk. My wife's terrific. She's like, sure, let's walk. Okay, so we start walking, and it's a muggy day, and we got backpacks on, and we carry our camera stuff, and we're walking, and it's hot, and I'm sweating, and we stopped at a pastry store, and it didn't have what I wanted, and I'm getting cranky, and we get down there, and we're walking about a mile. I'm sure we've walked about three, but probably not, and so then we finally turned a corner, and when we turned a corner, we saw this. That's Romans 8. That's when you've read all the way through Romans 1 through 7 and you're cranky and you're like, it's talking about condemnation and it's not making me happy. It's supposed to be about the gospel and it's supposed to be about good news. And finally you get to the corner of chapter 8 and you turn it and you go, that's what I get to see. It's a cathedral. Chapter 8 is the cathedral of the book of Romans. It's a place where your understanding of God gets lifted up to the ceiling. You get to go, this is who my God is. This is what he's done for me. And it starts by saying this, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In a world that judges you, in a world that condemns you, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's one of the most beautiful sentences in the Bible. And in fact, in all of literature, there is no condemnation. There is no guilt. God puts on you no shame. God does not make a declaration about you that you are unfit for use or service. There is no condemnation. And I always want to know how things like that are possible. If the law says there's not one righteous, no one, not one, and that includes me, I want to know how it's possible Then suddenly I can have no condemnation. And Paul lays it out for us in these four verses. He says, look, the law couldn't do it. The law was weakened. In fact, the law was never really designed to, be, to, to give us righteousness, to give us, to give us life anyway. The law was designed to say this is who God is, and you don't measure up. And you need him. You need his grace. You need his mercy. That's what the law is for. 
And so what the law could not do, Paul says, God did. God did by sending his own son to fulfill God's righteousness. God made an exchange. And it's interesting because we talked back and when we talked through Romans chapter 1, we talked about this these great exchanges that human beings had made in their relationship with God. And then every time we made an exchange, we took a come down. We took a step down or a big step down. In Romans 1, Paul said, as human beings, we exchange the truth of God for a lie. And sometimes you look at what's, what's presented in our world and people in the world say, this is what's normal or here's normal philosophy or here's normal political philosophy. And you hear these things that are touted in our world and they go, this is normal. And you have to think through this filter. Yeah, but normal in your mind happens to be normal because you exchange the truth of God for a lie. And not only did we exchange the truth of God for a lie, but we exchanged the glory of God for an image in the form of human beings and animals and birds and creepy crawlers. Instead of worshiping the glory of God, we worship the things God created. He goes, you made a huge exchange, and it wasn't in a positive direction. You didn't trade up. And then he says, and then in your sexuality, in your expression of your sexuality, in the most intimate relationships in your life, you exchange the natural design that God made for that which is unnatural. And you didn't trade up. We made all these exchanges that took us farther away from God. But God loved us so much that he made an opposite exchange. He took his son and he sent him on a rescue mission for us. And he said, I'm going to send my son into this world and he's going to be, uh, he's going to be a, a sin offering for you. Or literally, he's going to be sin for you. Here's Jesus, the righteous son of God, and he's going to become sin for you. And in his sacrifice of his life, he's going to absolutely satisfy the requirements of the law for you so that now you will become the righteousness of God. I like the way Paul says it when he writes to the Corinthians. He, he says the same, he talks about the same exchange, but he writes about it a little bit more succinctly. He says this in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21. God made Jesus who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God made Jesus who had no sin, lived in heaven with no sin. God made him without sin to become sin, not to become sinful, but to become the embodiment, the personification of sin. God made Jesus who had no sin to become sin so that we who were fully sinful might become the righteousness of God in him. Not just become righteous, become God's righteousness. We would be the description of God's righteousness. That's the exchange that God made for us. That's why there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because when God sees you, he sees right through Jesus to you. And he says, there is no condemnation for you who are in Christ Jesus. The righteous requirement of the law has been fully met, fully paid for. And what's the result of that? Sometimes when I'm studying really any literature, you can do this with any literature, but when I'm studying the scriptures specifically, I like to go 
to the words and figure out what do the words mean? What are the, what are the synonyms for the words? And, and sometimes when you're doing that, you'll find antonyms for the word. If you remember your English from, I don't know, like eighth grade or something, antonyms are words that mean the opposite. Here's the words that mean the opposite of condemnation. Exonerated. If there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, it means God has exonerated you, which means literally that you are free from guilt. There is no guilt. He has exonerated you. It's not the same as being pardoned. To be pardoned says you have guilt and we're going to overlook it. To be exonerated says you are free of guilt. That's what happens when he says there's no condemnation for you. If you've been exonerated, then you have God's approval. That's another antonym to condemnation. You have God's approval. You and I have God's approval. How many of us have spent our lives trying to gain somebody else's approval? Your dad's approval, your mom's approval, your grandparents' approval, your employer's approval. Somebody you desperately need, somebody to approve of you. And you spend your life trying to get that and earn it and build your way there. And you never quite seem to get there. And God says, look, when you are in Christ, you have my approval, no condemnation. And if you have God's approval, then you are released from the chains that hold you tight. Those things that lock you up, those things that keep you from living with freedom in your life, if you have God's approval, if you have no condemnation, you are set free. And he wants and he hopes that you'll live that way. Set free. Fully exonerated. People in my life that I have watched who have understood this the best, the most fully, seem to be the people who have gone through recovery programs, who participate in recovery programs. Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, those kinds of things. Because it seems most people that go into those kinds of organizations and those kinds of supporting groups have figured out something in their life that's like, my life has been devastated by my choices. My life has been devastated by my sin. My life has been devastated by my disease. However you want to say it, my life has been devastated. And not only my life, but the lives of the people around me as well. And when you get so low because you just recognize the devastation that you brought into this world, into your own life and the life of, of others, and you realize that somebody's there to forgive you and someone's there to say, I absolve you of that. Someone's there to exonerate you from that. Then finally you just go, yeah, I'm free. And you appreciate it so much more than the person who goes, yeah, well, I, I'm sort of a little far away from God, but it wasn't so bad. And then I wonder, why did God do that? Why would God do that? Why would God exonerate me? Why would he say, no condemnation? Why would he release me when I know what my life has been like? There's a verse in the Gospel of John that explains that reason why to us. You probably know it. Most of you probably know it. Many of you learned it as a child. If you are if you came to faith in Jesus as an adult, you probably learned it pretty quickly on. It's just like one of the most famous verses in the Bible. 
tells you why God did this. Remember, its, it's title is John 3.16. You know that one? Somebody know that one? <laughs> if I start you, could you, like, could you run with it? For God so loved. Uh, uh, hey, you guys in the family room, you did it way better than these guys in this room. <laughs> Y'all sound like Charlie Brown's teacher. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> All right, so I know, I know you were there. It's just a little bit hard to say that in a big group, right? Look, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, his one and only son, so that whoever believes in him would not perish but would have eternal life. Yeah, yay. And you know that one, right? God loves you that much. That's why God did it. It's not a mystery. And it wasn't because you were so smart. And it wasn't because you were so thin. And it wasn't because you were so strong. And it wasn't because you were so perfect. It wasn't about you and what you'd done at all. It was about God and who he is. And God is love. And God loves you with this everlasting, amazing, outrageous love. And he loved you so much that he sent his son for you. That's John 3.16. If you haven't learned that one yet, Pick it up, learn it. It's beautiful. And if you haven't learned this yet, learn the next verse. John 3, 17 got dropped off the charts in our memory, you know, processes. It, but it's beautiful. It's so important for us to get John 3, 17. You know what that one says? For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You have to know that. God did not send his son into the world to put the world down. God did not send his son into the world to shame the world. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You know, God's heart is never condemnation. Sometimes you're going through your life you're a follower of Jesus, but you're not a perfect follower of Jesus. How many perfect followers of Jesus are in the room? They're all in the family room. No, no, you guys. So, hey, how, no, because you guys too. How many perfect, how many perfect followers of Jesus are there? None. None. Nobody's, none of us is perfectly following Jesus, but we have a heart for him. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you have a heart for him, you trust him, but you have a voice inside your head, and that voice sometimes says things to you that are condemning, that condemn you. Know this, that voice you're listening to is not the voice of Jesus. It is not the voice of Jesus. Because God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. That's what he wants. And likewise, if you have a voice inside your head and it's telling you to condemn somebody else, that voice inside your head is not the voice of Jesus. You don't speak for Jesus when you condemn others. You don't speak with the voice of Jesus when you condemn your neighbor. You don't speak with the voice of Jesus when you condemn a stranger. You don't speak with the voice of Jesus when you condemn a group of people. The 
The voice of Jesus is not a voice of condemnation. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. When you are tempted to speak with a voice that is rescuing, when you are tempted to speak with a voice that calls for the salvation and the life of others, you're speaking with the voice of Christ. You're speaking with the voice of God. And when I hear all of that, I ask one more question, which is how do I get in on that? And I know a lot of you here in the room, a lot of you are in a place in your life, in your journey where you say, I, I, I trusted Jesus a long time ago. I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm in. And no, I don't do it perfectly, but I'm in. I'm fully in. And you celebrate those gifts of no condemnation that God has put into your life, the, the gift of exoneration that God has put into your life. You celebrate those things. But I bet there are some among us, maybe here in this room, maybe in the family room, maybe people that will listen on the podcast, I bet there are some of us who go, I just want to be in on that. My life is filled with condemnation. My life is filled with guilt and shame and locked up, living, bound to sin. I just want to get in on that. How do I get in? And there are a lot of ways to describe this, but one of the ways I, li- I love to describe this is what we call the ABCs of faith here at Lakeside. We print this on the back of the program every week so you can have it, so you can see it and go, this is my life. This is my choice. ABCs of faith. They just go like this. The A stands for admit. I admit that my sin has kept me far from God and I need a Savior. That's a hard thing to admit in this world. Well, we do it ourselves. We pull ourselves up. It's hard to admit that my sin has devastated my life so much that I actually need a Savior. That's where it begins. I admit that. And B stands for believe. I believe that Jesus Christ is the only Savior that God has sent. I believe that. And see, I choose. I choose to follow Jesus by faith. It's an offering. It's an invitation that God gives to you. You can choose to follow him by faith. He invites you to do that. If you're already a follower of Jesus We just celebrate what he's done with you. We're going to take some time in a few minutes to celebrate that in some tangible ways. But if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, can I just invite you into those ABCs? Again, they're written on the back of the program. I admit that I need a Savior. I believe that Jesus is the only Savior that God has sent. I choose to follow him by faith. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's how to get in. Jesus, thank you for your love for us. We are grateful to you for it. Lord, we want to pray today for uh, your grace in our own lives. I want to pray for your grace in each of our lives. Lord, I know that there's a lot of people among us who, who are so grateful for the freedom that you've given to us and the lack of condemnation that you have given to us. That's the good news, and we're so grateful for that. But there undoubtedly are some people here today who are saying, Could I just do those ABCs? Could I just cross that line of faith and choose to follow Jesus by faith? 
And Lord, they're asking you that, and I know that you will say yes to them. And I'm grateful that you will say yes to them. Thank you. And Lord, lead us on this journey. We're not going to do it perfectly today or tomorrow or the next day, but lead us on the journey, please. And we will follow you as faithfully as you give us the grace to do. Thank you. Amen.